that kind of thing. That exactly like that. Yeah. I think. Down yes. boy. It's all right. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson, Richard James, and Chris Dale. What's happened? Are you all right? We've already well, we've only done two hundred eighty-one episodes of the Jerry Anderson podcast. I mean, the fact cannot that believe it. Continues to surprise you every week, even <laughs> though it's a very regular thing and has been for many years. Hey, it comes as a complete surprise to me that a so many people are still listening. Well, that is a surprise. I and agree. B that now so many mm. people are watching. Mm. Who'd have thought? Bizarre. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thanks for watching. I think we've created a little space where people could feel at home. Yes. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. We like to bring you some comfort and joy and happiness and positivity. What yeah. do we do? Well, what, you just sounded a bit Christmassy, that's all. <laughs> comfort and joy. Uh, well, that's not what I intended. Oh, tidings of comfort. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, Christmas. I had no intention of being festive. I'm terribly yeah, sorry. Yeah, but it's not far off, is it? No. And actually, there's something slightly festive about your shirt. I know, because I'm getting in the mood. Shall I drop a little hint about what we've got planned for Christmas? I mean, you could. <laughs> Three months out. Two yeah. months out. Go on, go well, on. Less than two months out. Let's get all Christmas. Next month, in fact, I think, by the time this goes out. Yeah. It'll be Christmas next month. Yes. It'll be a very Terry Christmas. Oh, really? Will it? I mean, Not it's... once, but twice. Oh. Yeah, Terry's joining Gosh. us. Of course he is. There you go. Something to look forward to. We all need something to look forward to on the Jerry Anderson podcast because <laughs> there's precious little elves. <laughs> so the fact that Terry Adler's joining us, in my estimation, is a win win. Yeah. So are we contractually obliged to, every to year. have a Terry Christmas now? Absolutely, yeah, every year. It's got to happen. Okay, yeah. well. Oh, I suppose we should mention that this is the Jerry Anderson podcast. Brilliant. Uh, I suppose we should mention that you're Jamie Anderson. Okay, I guess then we should also probably mention the old Richard James. Yeah, we don't wrinkle your nose like that. Sorry, I had an itch. Uh, and also we should mention that over there on the sofa is the rather wonderful and marvellous yeah. randomizer himself, there he Chris is. Dale. Hi, Hi Chris. Chris. Hi. Hi. Oh, it's always nice to see his little face, isn't it? Beaming with excitement because he is the luckiest of all of us. Why is that? Because he gets to watch an episode of a Jerry Anderson series every week. Okay. I mean, any of us could do that. Yeah, but he gets to do it on camera while people are watching. And that's true. That's <laughs> true. And he's, he's very highly respected and, and loved for it, I think. I'm now going to list the things that are coming up. Fab facts, news. Um, oh, uh, first part of an interview with Nicholas Young. Mm. Axa, extraordinaire. Yes. Um, Randomizer. Yeah. And um, emails and Facebook comments from the Facebook from the uh, Potstrons. And that's the end. That'll be the end then, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's a, you really made it sound like something to look forward to by listing it that way. <laughs> Good. Um, so that was so the intention. I, I can't wait. Good. Excellent. Well, go on then. Get, just get a move on. Well, no, I just wanted to ask very quickly, Podstrons, hmm. is there a segment that doesn't currently exist in the Jerry Anderson podcast that you would like to see? Ah. And don't say Panderson. And if you don't know what Panderson <laughs> is, don't ask. <laughs> so are you intimating there that there may be a segment of the show that perhaps is on its last legs? No, I'm not suggesting that for a sort of pu- no. Perhaps it isn't pulling its weight no, and needs no, to be replaced. No, is that what you're saying? absolutely not the case at all. Right. Thank you. Someone's got some very loud stilettos, if you notice they that, have, walking yes. past the door there. Unless it's Ross. Oh, it could be Ross. Yeah, yeah could fair be Ross. enough. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not stressing that at all. I'm just saying, is there something you'd like to see that we're not doing already? Hmm. We'd be very happy What about to... something we're doing already that I wouldn't like to see anymore? I'm not interested in your feedback, <laughs> Richard James. Anyway, <laughs> let's very rapidly move ahead to this week's fantastic and everlasting fab facts. There's a threat. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. 
Right. Yes. Okay, you done complaining about fat facts now? Yeah, for now. I mean, have you got any new material? Because it's starting to feel a bit like it with all this relentless slating of fab facts, whoa, which everybody whoa. else loves. Whoa, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> I thought this was a friendly podcast where people come to hang out with their chums and talk well, about Jerry Anderson. It was, <laughs> but you're such a, a fab facts bully. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. You're anyway. Right. I'll sit on the naughty step and think about what I've done. Don't worry, fab facts oh, book. It'll be all right. Book. It's just a book. Poor fab facts. Mm. Anyway. <clears throat> right. Right here, yeah. Book of Fab Facts. Book of Fab Facts. Full of Fab Facts, full of which fab you facts. love, don't you? All of them. Tell it how much you like it. Tell the book how much I like yes, it. Yes, come on. Very much. Say Fab Facts book, I like you very much. <laughs> what? What's going on now? Come on. Oh, fab Facts book, I love you very much. Love you very much, gosh. I said like, it sounded I, I like love. I heard love. I heard love. That's amazing. What a turnaround. Anyway... Fab Facts. Richard loves it, literally loves it, just said it, as you heard. Uh, I've got a book of Fab Facts, I'll flick through it. Richard will joyously shout Fab, because he loves it so much. I do enjoy that moment, to be fair. Mm, Good. And then I'll read the Fab Fact, and hopefully you'll also love the fact itself. Maybe. Okay? Yep. Good. You ready with the flicking? Uh, Are you ready with the flicking? I'm ready with the flicking. Are you ready with the Fab? Yes, born ready. All right, here we go. Fab! Oh, Hey. Yes, good. Yeah, it's is fine. that all right? Yes, I'm, I'm here. Are I'm you? Here. Yes, I'm what, here. What are you I'm, doing now then? I've just got a couple what? of pages stuck together a bit uh, awkwardly. Oh, have you? Yeah. I see. <laughs> anyway, yes. Richard James. That's me. Are you ready to love this one? <laughs> yeah, go on. I hope you will. Uh, we have discussed many, 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 many times <laughs> yeah. how the puppet sculptors on Dad's Super Mario Nation shows often seem to base the puppet likenesses on well-known actors or personalities of the day. We have, yes. Can you name one? Uh, well, Sean Connery's in there somewhere, isn't he? Yeah, Is Sean Connery. I think. Scott, they, yeah, there's um, one. That'll do. James yeah. Garner as um, uh, uh, Troy Tempest. Yes, I think. absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Uh, That's yeah, fine. Don't, okay. don't worry. Right. Uh, and of course, uh, you've got those two. But Captain yeah. Scarlet, of course, took it one step further with both the facial likeness and the voice being based on screen heartthrob Cary Grant. Yeah, there he's behind you. Yes, that's right. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. There. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, is he? I didn't know. Uh, yeah. uh, many of the female characters are the spit of well-known actresses too, with right. some claiming that Marina herself was modelled after the sultry 60s star Brigitte Bardot. Oh, yeah. And Captain Scarlet's Destiny Angel after Bond girl Ursula Andress. Okay. There I like the, the, the phrase, some claiming there is quite a good term. Well, it's, it's one of those things yeah. where I think some of these things have been reverse engineered a bit. Others, yeah. I think, were true. Yeah. But Maybe they just didn't talk about them at the time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Anyway, there is one character that we rarely speak of during conversations like these. Perhaps it's because he's such a one-off, so unique, so unlike anyone else you're ever likely to meet that it's almost unbelievable to imagine that he's based on a real person. It's Zuni Lazoon. No, it's, it's no, not. Is it Mitch and Monkey? No, nor is it Mike Mercury. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's everyone's favourite, in fact, aerospace engineer, Hiram K. Hackenbacker, himself also known as Brains from Oh, yes. OK, right. I'm interested to see where this goes. Mm. Uh, a year or so before the broadcast, the first ever episode of Thunderbirds on UK TV, an edition of the BBC series Horizon was aired. Uh, Horizon, for those of you who don't know, is an ongoing, long-running British documentary yeah. series covering science and philosophy. Yeah, it's still going now. Uh, on the 25th of July, 1964 edition, mm-hmm. entitled Strangeness Minus Three... Right. Very catchy title. Yeah. A rather familiar-looking Professor Nicholas P. Samios describes his discovery of the omega-minus particle. Right. Familiar-looking how? Well, I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, 
While he doesn't have Brains' distinctive stammer, it can be seen that he has an almost identical haircut and a pair of glasses uh, that are identical to the ones used for the Brains puppet. Really? Well, it's certainly a man wearing glasses. Yes, you see? Yeah, but he looks a bit like Brains. I mean, it's hard to see his haircut, but okay, I, I can I can see a likeness. Well. But you see, this this feels like an alleged one to me, because of course, so often, brains is actually ascribed to being based on another person. Ah, okay. Oh, but look at that. Oh, ah, now there's a better picture. You see? Okay, yeah. Now we can see that. That's brains to a T, isn't it? That's uh, quite interesting. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever I've ever heard this because yeah. normally he's referred to as being based on Anthony Perkins. I right. Think. Okay. Okay. So, but 1964, I think this episode was shown. Yeah. So you know the timings add up. I mean, there's something about it. Yeah. There but I know. think this could be the most contentious fab fact we've ever done. We've done a few in our time, haven't we? I know. We? We've, wow. we've done over a hundred, I would say. But <laughs> but yeah, because Anthony Perkins is normally the one that's referenced, and yet here we are faced with a possible different hey. face. How can we find out? Mm. I mean, okay, so is it possible that the sculptors behind Brains were watching on that fateful night and that Professor Samios left such an indelible impression? We don't know. Yeah. Um, it seems that they were magpies of design taking inspiration wherever they could find it. So while the answer might not be a definitive yes mm -hmm. or no, mm -hmm. it looks very likely indeed that Brains had a real-life counterpart, yeah. potentially, and that maybe he was just as clever. Oh, yeah, maybe he was, yeah. It could be, you know. I, I, I don't just, know. That makes sense to me. And it is in the book of Fab Facts. I, I know, but I, it's, it's not a gospel of Fab Facts. It's just a book. So, <laughs> well, tome is the word you know. Sorry, it's just a tome. Is, it's not a gospel. Yeah. So that you know. That, okay. well, what do you think, Podstrons? Yeah. Is, there, is there any backup for this? Yeah. Or are, are we just you know spewing out nonsense like we <laughs> normally do? Again. It's a strong possibility. But, <laughs> I uh, think I know which might be true. Yes. Yeah. A fascinating yeah. find in mm. the Fab Facts book. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Did like you love it. that? I did like it. I found that very interesting. Good. Glad to hear it. Uh, Podstrons, if you've got any thoughts on Brains's doppelganger or doppelgangers, email us podcast at jerryanson.com with the subject line, uh, was it Brains? Um, <laughs> that'll do, won't it? Yeah. Great. Gosh. Mm. Okay, fine. Well, that was really fascinating. Good. It was fab. Yes. And you loved it. Yes. We've ticked all the boxes. Well, there that, you go. Job done. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of this week's... Brains facts. Now this cannot continue. No, we've got to break it next That's week. That's three times in a row. We've got the same word. Goodness me. Mm. Nice. There you go. So something new for you, even in the book of Fab facts. Well, the book of Fab facts often delivers something new for me, but that—that's the first time I've had the kind of uh, Fab facts cognitive dissonance, if you will, where you believe one thing, but then it's been upset by new data. It's been challenged by—I <gasps> wouldn't say data—by new opinion. Well, some pictures. Yeah. All right. Fine. You don't like being challenged, do you? I've noticed that. <laughs> You're very set in your worldview, aren't you? I find it very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, as someone else who looks very uncomfortable, sitting at home in his office with his specs on, oh, wow. <laughs> staring into a camera. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah, old Specky Anderson. Yeah. Shall we see what he's got to say in this week's uh, Jerry Anderson News? Let's hope he's got something to say. <laughs> That'd be awkward, wouldn't it? Fingers crossed for news. <laughs> Hello to all you Ander fans out there, it's Jamie back yet again with another week of thrilling news from the worlds of Jerry Anderson. As always, plenty to get through, so let's go for it. Well, Win Big Wednesdays are coming. Starting this week, get ready to engage in some festive fun with a chance to win some fantastic Anderson memorabilia. With a new opportunity every single Wednesday leading up to Christmas, all of you Ander fans should keep an eye on all of our social media channels 
follow the participation guidelines and you could be celebrating Christmas and the holidays with a special piece of Anderson merch. Telford's IPMS showcase is just ahead this weekend, promises to be a haven for model enthusiasts. If you're looking to feast your eyes on a collection of exquisite model kits, including previews of some upcoming eagles and other Anderson surprises, the IPMS show in Telford is on the 11th and 12th of November. That's the place for you to be. And for those who can't make it, stay tuned for next week's posts for all the details. Candy and Andy's surprising popularity continues and it seems they've captured hearts anew, with recent events and media coverage rekindling interest in this charming 60s Anderson creation. It's not too late to dive into their world. Candy Andy in the Verandas is available right now at the Jerry Anderson store. Captain Black Friday is just ahead, so with November closing in, it's almost time for those yearly deals that all Ander fans eagerly await. Prepare your wish lists and get ready to snag some great finds at massively reduced prices. Captain Black Friday is poised to help you stock up on your favourite Anderson treasures just in time for the festive season. Well keep the spirit of Anderson alive as usual and as always stay tuned to all of our official channels for more information, videos, behind the scenes content and all sorts of Anderson related fun. So until next week it's back to Richard and Jamie in the studio. There! How exciting! You're still not singing? Uh, no I'm not am I? No maybe next week. You know I don't want to you know spend my largesse too liberally. Largesse. It's the largesse of Richard James. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I, I tell you what, the absolute backbone of the Jerry Anderson podcast is. Ross? No! Chris Dale? No! Oh, the interviews? No. Fun facts. It's the wonderful Podsterons. Oh. Luckily, I mean, we're so grateful. They keep emailing us at podcast.jerryanderson.com. Thank you. Also, we can read them out in the podcast. Should we do that now? We'd certainly try. Let's do that. Okay. This is the voice of the Podsterons. Would you like to handle a long one? I think I can probably manage it. Go on. Okay. Uh, well, this long one is from Matt. Yes. Matt says, Richard and Jamie. Oh, that's us. He excludes Chris, interestingly. <sighs> right, okay. Awkward, so. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Take that, Chris Dale. Uh, in Pod 277... Not so long ago, yes, I remember it. Ago. As part of the fab fact, you talked about the Nintendo man Shigeru Miyamoto. Oh, yes. And his inspiration for the game Star Fox. We yes. talked about that. Yep. Uh, you mentioned his other games he worked on at Nintendo and said that you hadn't heard of Pikmin. No, I, in fact, I so hadn't heard of it that I think I called it Pimkin. You did, but um, I cut that bit out, so they oh, won't know that. Well, I put it in now. Yeah, so fine. Anyway, yes, I mispronounced it, as I do with so many words. Um, this is a game that I have played, however, having been introduced to it at university by by my housemate. Mm. Thank you, Matt's housemate. Mm -hmm. It's essentially a problem-solving game where you're an explorer and you control creatures that you can use to obtain treasures, solve puzzles, and attack enemies. Oh, I like that. Sounds fun. Yeah. I've recently been playing the fourth game in the series. Uh, you said that Miyamoto was an Anderson fan, and I can see the influences on this game. Ah. The story for this one revolves around a rescue call responding to distress calls, obviously a nod to Thunderbirds, going to a strange planet and not to Fireball XL5, mm -hmm. with the rescuers having a command structure with a slightly over-strict but caring boss, referring to Stingray. Ah. This instalment also involves a strange space dog. A space dog? A space dog, in inverted yes. commas. Yes. Which helps in the rescue missions, almost helping like a sheepdog. 
Right. There's possibly a nod to UFO in the plot as well, uh, in the antagonist in the story. Right, okay. yes. It is an interesting different type of game, so I recommend it if you like playing video games. How fascinating. Well, I quite like playing video games. So, yeah, yeah, and liberally sprinkled with Anderson references. Yeah, clearly. Homages. Uh, Matt continues, I've been loving the guests you've been having recently. I wonder... Uh If you could get Simone Bendix or Mary Woodvine from Space Precinct. Yes. Yes. Uh, Any more insight from Space Precinct would be much appreciated. Also, any more writers in the pipeline? Mm. Mmm. Okay. I'll think on that. Yeah. Anyways, can't wait to receive my Terrorhawks 40th anniversary items. Terrorhawks was my gateway show to the Anniverse. Thanks from Matt. The gateway show Lovely. to the Anniverse. See, there you go. Yeah. People coming at it from all different angles, from the podcast, yeah. from Terrorhawks, from Thunderbirds, from Fireball, from Space, from UFO, anywhere. That's right. Maybe even from the Randomizer. Maybe. Do you think that's their way into the Anniverse? I'm sure. Ooh. I'm sure we've had somebody say that they, they picked up a Randomizer yeah. episode and then Great. found us. So. Hi, Jamie, Richard and Chris. Thank goodness that you remembered Chris. This is Chris Turner, who says, I've just been listening to Pod 275, and it was great to hear in the news about the renewal and expansion of your licence with ITV. Mm. Uh, Jamie asked which shows and stories we Podstrons want to dive into, so here are my suggestions. Ready? Okay. My favourite Super Mario Nation show has to be Captain Scarlet, so I would love to see full cast audio dramas from that show, and also, if possible, reprints of the John Thaden Captain Scarlet novels, similar to the Thunderbirds and Stingray reprints, which I really enjoyed. Oh, good. Uh, and just to complete my wish list, how about a Spectrum Technical Operations Manual? Ooh. How about that? Well, I think that's that's definitely a possibility in the future, yeah. Mm. Now, I'm not sure if a new Captain Scarlet is included in the ITV deal, but it would be great to have all of the above uh, new Captain Scarlet as well. The archive finds, which Ben Page reported on recently in Anderson Insiders, Mm. would make a great starting point for a new Captain Scarlet technical operations manual, and I'm guessing you wouldn't have any problems in casting the voice artist to play Captain Scarlet in the NCS audio dramas. I mean, we would have to put up with Wayne Forrester. Yeah. It feels like quite hard work. Yeah, yeah, he is a bit. Uh, I also wanted to say how much I've enjoyed listening to the interview with Anton Phillips in pods 274 and 275. It was a good one. That was nice. Well done, you. Yeah. It was fascinating to hear about Anton's work outside of Space 1999 and what a varied career he's had. His enjoyment of all the projects he's been involved in, but especially working in theatre, really shone through. Finally, says Chris, I'm looking forward to being able to put in my pre-order for the Jerry Anderson podcast book of Fab Facts. Who wouldn't look forward to that? Who wouldn't? (sighs) Now we can watch the podcast on YouTube. We can see the book is real. Isn't it? Yes. It's... Keep it's, up the great work. It's right here. Best it's, a real Chris Turner. Book. Yeah. it's a real book. It's a real book. Yeah. And Richard loves it. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Do we think we ever might have a book of Fab Facts? I think so. Ooh. I think it's a must. Yes, because it'd be a nice companion piece to Simon Archer's original, wouldn't it? I mean, it, it'll be enormous. It would be huge. Gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can't wait. Perhaps be a two-tone volume, wouldn't it? No, it's just one that you can't easily pick up with one hand. Right, okay. So, That's yeah. very specific. A nice a two-hander of Fab Facts. A two-hander tome. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Can't wait. Okay, I, I've got an email here. Good. Uh, subject line, quite a nice thing to do. Oh, yes. Feels yes. like that was one of my previous requests. It was indeed. Uh, it's from Alex in Suffolk. He said, hello, chaps. Sorry, I'm a bit late to this week's podcast. I really like Richard's suggestion of quite a nice thing to do. That was, <laughs> that was yours. was me. Yeah, there you go. Um, my suggestion would be that establishing an official in-universe chronology for the Anderson shows would be, yes, quite a nice thing to do. <laughs> okay. I found a fan-made chronology online, but it had Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet many decades apart. Oh, this thing again. Uh-huh. Um, when I thought they were meant to be close together, an official one would be a, a nicer thing 
for right. someone to do. Yeah. Thanks, an FAB, Alex. That would have to be settled once and for all, wouldn't I it? I don't know if it's possible to settle that once and for all. I mean, it's, a, it's a, an ongoing source of conflict. Is it? Yeah. Mm. I mean, very minor. Obviously, obviously yeah, yeah. Uh, I stumbled across the podcast like this. Uh, that is one of mine. That's right. Yeah. This is Rodney J. Kelly, who's been in touch to say, I work third shift security. I've been working this job for more than 18 years. I've been working this job for more than 18 years. Yeah, that's the start of a new answer. Isn't show, it? Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a few years more, and I can legally identify myself as a vampire. Amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let me describe to you what this job is like. I spend most of my time watching the 30 most boring TV shows in existence simultaneously. Yeah. Though many people would say, oh, why don't you watch something more exciting? To which I point out that I am security, and exciting is rarely a good thing. Mm. From time to time, someone will pass through my security post, and I will have to check their bags and send them through the metal detector. Oh, that sounds great. I'd like a job like that. This is the high point in my night. Uh, well, I can quite understand that. Yeah. Uh, these are real people with personalities, and I get to talk to them. Well, that's nice. I imagine being get, able to talk to someone with a real personality. Be a real surprise. I dream of that. What a shock. Yeah. Uh, the company I work for allows me to surf the internet while I work. You would say that this is great. There are lots of interesting things on the internet. Well, let me, with my over a decade of experience, tell you no, there ain't. Oh, all right. Well, big capitals as well, that. And bold. Uh, it gets real boring real fast, and Sunday nights are the worst. I found your podcast a few years ago. Sunday nights are still the worst, but when your podcast is, what word shall I use? Casting, the night is not so bad. Oh, and that's from Rodney J. Kelly. Well, is that nice? That's lovely. Isn't keep it? company. We can go. We can take things from worst to not so bad <laughs> purely with the power hey, of the podcast. I'll take that. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I well, will worst take that. is kind of superlative, isn't absolutely. it? So we're we're really raining oh, back. Oh, yeah, yeah, too. Thank right. you, Rodney. Yeah. Uh, keep them coming in. Podcast at jerryanderson.com. You must know the email address by now. If you don't, you could probably guess it. Couldn't you? If you wanted to send an email to the Jerry Anderson podcast and you hadn't actually been listening and didn't know the the, pod, the uh, email address, you could probably work it out. Yeah. Couldn't you? Two idiots and Chris at jerryanderson.com. That's it. Yeah. Rude. Uh, yeah, all for now. But I quickly must just say, mm. do review and uh, rate us wherever you listen to us or, or watch revate, us. Revate, revate, revate. That would be great. Um, you know, leave us a few words of praise and a few stars. Not three stars. No, or even three and a half. No. If that were even possible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, copy the link and um, share us on all your socials as well. With context stating that the podcast is wicked. There you go. Yeah. Ah, that's <clears throat> it. Our lovely Podstrons. Yeah, aren't they great? Yeah. Oh. What? Are you waiting for a thing? Because I think you've got to do a thing now. Well, I'm not going to do a thing. Someone else is going to come and do a thing with me. Oh, I, I just, see. I'm waiting for you to leave. Right, okay. Sorry. That's so often what happens in my life. Um... Bye. I'll, I'll go and leave you to it. Yeah, get a shift on then. Bye. The two-part story The Bringers of Wonder is considered one of the most highly regarded in Space 1999's second series. It told the story of a species of aliens, tricking the Alphans into believing they were their long-lost friends and family. Well, let's just hope that this week's guest is all he appears. He played Sandra's love interest Peter Rockwell in Bringers of Wonder, but has had an illustrious career elsewhere too. It's Nicholas Young! I didn't realise a clap could be so sarcastic. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us here on the Jerry Anderson Podcast. I hope it's going to be a pleasure. Well, time will tell. Mm. Now, this is the podcast where we like to invite guests into our studio and talk about things that happened 50 years ago. Right. And hope that they remember. Yes. Well, how is your memory? Um, sorry, could you ask me that again? <laughs> 50 years. Yeah. 
So on a serious note, you've had a long and illustrious career. Mm. How much do those moments stay with you, particularly from your early days? Um, I think thanks to a, a channel called Talking Pictures TV, uh-huh. <laughs> it's with me all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's turned out to be my favourite channel and I, I tend to watch. Uh, well, indeed, I think Fireball XL5 is on at the moment. Yes, isn't that's it. it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, I don't know. My memory's pretty good. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so uh, you're known to us mm-hmm. here in the Jerry Anderson world yes. for your appearances in Bringers of Wonder. Oh, right. Which yeah. is a two-part... I mean, I'm jogging your memory Can't here. Can't remember anything about that at all. <laughs> it's a very short interview. Mm. Uh, a two-part story in the second series of Space 1999. I have your word for that. <laughs> so without getting into specifics, because we'll hopefully talk at greater length about it a little later mm. in the interview... How is your memory of the uh, process of, of filming those episodes? Of Wonder. Um, pretty patchy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult to not confuse it with episodes of The Tomorrow People because the uh-huh. theme is very similar. Yes. Um, except that I remember we filmed it at Pima Studios. Yes. And um, the, the quality of production was infinitely superior to The Tomorrow People, it has to be said. <laughs> right. Um, so... My, my memories of it were of working on a very slick production, very well produced, mm. with some very good actors. Uh-huh. Can't always be said of the Tomorrow People, I think. Uh-huh. Now, was it, a, was it a world of difference then from your experiences working on the Tomorrow I, People? I too? wouldn't say it was a world of difference, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for the reasons I've said, there was yeah. the plenty of money being spent on, not on the actors, but on the production value mm. of Space 1999, uh, much more so than the Tomorrow People, and that shows on the screen. It's, yeah. The money was spent where it ought to be, on yeah. the screen. And uh, how was your experience or knowledge of science fiction before your, your work in, in the genre? Mm, pretty limited. Yeah? There, is, there are elements of science fiction I find fascinating. Such um, as? I think time travel is probably one of the most interesting. Right. Um, and, and visiting other worlds, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, very much so. But I've made this point before that science fiction is indeed a science. You can't just make it up as you go along. It has mm. parameters, it has rules. Mm. Um, and I'm not completely au okay with what the rules are. So right. other people are. Yes. Um, so I pretty much, I, I look at the script and uh, struggle with it if it's full of technical terms. Um, but I leave it up to others, to experts, to, to decide whether or not it's uh, accurate. <laughs> and uh, how much in charge have you been of your career, would you say? Have you been able to pick and choose uh, over the years that the projects interested you most? Or were you oh, just... I think you would be a very rich actor to be able to pick and choose. Yeah. Um, I remember at my preparatory school, we had Richard Wattis, who was a great British character actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, for God knows why, because he didn't go to the school. But anyway, he was invited as the guest. And I remember him simply because he said that he would have a word with the headmaster and uh, make sure that we had an extra day's holiday, so for which he got a huge round of applause. But he made the point as a character working, work, they call it a jobbing actor, um, and he said, I've never turned down any job in my entire life. Uh-huh. Whatever's offered, I do it. Right. Um, if you aspire to be a star, that's much more difficult. Sometimes you've got to turn down work that you might think is not suitable or yeah. not, not going to enhance your career. Yeah. Um, but most actors, they have to do pretty much what they're offered. Yeah. Which is why you see uh, some leading actors giving some very embarrassing performances in their younger days. Uh, yes, but even now you see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, leading actors uh, taking roles in uh, in commercials. 
Yeah. Uh, well, of course, they invented the idea of the cameo uh-huh. um, after, I don't know when that came, about 50s, 60s maybe, yeah. um, where a leading actor could do a small but significant role in a film without looking like he was on his uppers. <laughs> yeah. But prior to that, it was difficult. Yeah. You had to wait. And I, I know leading actors who said, I haven't worked for six months. You'd never believe it. Sure. Um, but because they have to keep turning things down mm. if, if it's deemed to be inappropriate. Yes. Sometimes they make terrible mistakes, of course, turn down the leading role that would have made them the next James Bond. Um, yes. But in my case, I was a working actor, self-sufficient, self-supporting. Um, didn't have a huge amount of choice, to be honest. I think most people who've been in a long-running series who decide they're going to leave and become a star, you never hear from them again. Right. One or two notable exceptions, Sarah yeah. Lancashire perhaps. Yeah. But generally speaking, you never hear from them again, and they end up going back in the same old soaps a few years later. Yeah. Mm. Uh, now, uh, we'll be talking about uh, your experience working with the Tomorrow People, of course, mm-hmm. a little later on. Was, was that an example of um, finding yourself in that situation three or four years, I think you did, in total? Is that right? What, in the Tomorrow People? Yeah. A bit more than that, I think. We started it in... Um, about April 73 and went on till 79, so about right, 60 years, Right, right. Uh, were you cognizant then of being on something of a role or did it still feel like being... Well, like, it's like everything else. You don't realise that you're in a trap until you know, the doors have shut, do you? A, a trap, you say? Um, I'm, I'm using that term metaphorically, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think we were all in the same trap. Roger wrote 13 episodes to tell the story of the next stage of Mankind... Um, which would have been fine if it had only been 13 episodes, but as it went on to 68, I think, um, tomorrow people had to come and go because the whole concept was that the next generation of youth would all be tomorrow people. Yes. So the longer it went on, the more you came unstuck. Really. I see. It doesn't sustain Hoist itself. Hoist by your own petard, yeah. that is the expression. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Now, talking of being hoisted by your own petard, we're going to play a little game with you now, Nicholas, uh, just to try and suss out your Anderson credentials. Yeah. Uh, we're going to show you very short clips of each uh, of Jerry's episodes. In fact, the opening titles... There are 18 of them, uh, stretching from the 1950s all the way through to the early 2000s. Uh, and I want you to shout out each one that you recognise and we'll see how well you do. Yes. Um, th- funny enough, this was going to be my specialist subject when they asked me to do Celebrity Mastermind. <laughs> um, but I felt I didn't really know enough about the subject, so I turned it down. <laughs> well, let's see how you so fare So my responses here will be very much tongue-in-cheek. OK, yes. off we go. On to the second one already. Oh, I'm supposed to identify at the moment it If comes you could. Up. Is that the plan? Yeah, that's oh, it. Yeah. Shout them out. Well, that's Four Feather Falls. It is. Gone. That's Fireball XL5. It is, yes. Yeah. Uh, that is, um, yes. Mm-hmm. The, the Thunderbirds? No, 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 the other one. Um, oh, oh, oh. This one is Thunderbirds, of course. Rescue. International yeah. Rescue, sorry. I mean, they're coming thick and fast. They are, certainly thick. That's me. <laughs> um, oh, I don't think it ever came out, did it? What Stanley Unwin, I know yeah, that. Yeah, that's it. Um, talking his usual nonsense, which he did so brilliantly. He did. He should have been an MP. <laughs> Moonbase. Yes. This is an emergency. Now we're heading into the 80s. Was that Terra Hawks? It no. was Terror Hawks. Well, there you go. It's not fair to speed these come out. I know, it's very uh, quick. British Society of Cameramen. <laughs> Close. PSC. Yeah, you got it. Uh, and how many, how many of these one. are there? It's all right, we're done. Oh! Uh, 
And there we go. Yeah. Well, I didn't Very do too good. badly. You didn't do too badly at all. If yeah. I'd known I had to say them so quickly, I might have got the first two well, as well. In that case, I shall give you the first two. If you can name them now. It's about with Twizzle, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. And then immediately afterwards. Um, hang on. Mm-hmm. Didn't Four Feather Fall come and meet There was a one in between. No. Batchy, took Batchy. Uh, you, you Batchy see, boy. absolutely. So I'm going to give you those. So I'm going to say you had eight, which is a very respectable. Indeed. And there is your score. And is there a general knowledge round? <laughs> there isn't, no. Yeah. No, you can return from... Might have done better with that. <laughs> there you go. So there's your score on your uh, little Thunderbirds... Uh, oh, lovely. Do I stick it on the table? Figure? Well, not right now, but we'll do that later for so you. So we're all knights of the round table, is that what uh, Exactly right. Uh, okay. uh, so, Nicholas, well, you did rather well there. I'm surprisingly well. Yeah, yes. um... There was one that really caught your attention, though, which was the Secret Service. Right. Secret Service with um, uh, Stanley Unwin. Yes. Uh, effectively playing himself, as you but mentioned. I, I thought it was never, it never came out. Oh, it? yes. It did come out. Yes, it did, oh. yes. It's on ITV in the 1969, I think. Um, so, yeah. But um, the, I, Lou Grade's argument was we'd never sell this to the Americans because they won't understand Stanley Unwin. And, and Jerry responded, well, they're not supposed to. No one's supposed no, to understand exactly. Stanley Unwin. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, notably, it was his first sort of foray into live action. Was it? But there was also, there was Super Marionation elements as well. So we had the marionettes uh, for, for close-ups. And uh, Father, actual actual Stanley Unwin um, for uh, action sequences. And, there, uh, there's a good shows. advert on, um, a good short film on talking pictures of Stanley Unwin at a, a time manufacturer oh yes somebody's tires burst and they unfortunately get stanley unwin who's trying to help them and of course <laughs> they don't realize for about two minutes he's talking utter rubbish i used to love him that was brilliant um so uh yes uh, a lot there that you uh, recognize from the earlier days mm -hmm. uh, the black and white days in particular yep. um are these sort of particular memories you have as a child of watching jerry anderson shows I often wonder whether black and white is of any significance because I seem to remember that most of what Jerry Anderson did was black and white. Ah. Uh, but in the memory, I don't think many people think in memories in black and white. Ah, yes. So you put your own colour into it. Interesting. Um, I mean, I, I seem to think of Twizzle as being bright yellow, bright red. Right. Was he? I don't yeah, know. Because yeah. it was made in black and white, it's wasn't it? Made in black and white, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. whether there was a toy or a comic I'm sure strip there was. that you sure there was, may yeah. remember seeing. But um, I, I don't think we've. Think in black and white. I know a lot of people dream in black and white. Mm. I tend to dream in HD and widescreen colour. Yes. Are you four K ready? Mostly stereophonic. <laughs> and, sorry, not stereophonic. I mean stereoscopic. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah, good. Yeah. So take us back then to young Nicholas Young. Mm. Did you have a TV as a child, as a family? What we, was the setup there? We bought our first television uh, when ITV first came out. Right. Associated Rediffusion. As yeah. It was. Yeah. And on an ABC in the north, I think. Um, no, we held back to actually buy a television, television set, as they were called in those yeah. days. Um, when ITV came in, was it 1955? I think it yeah, was. I think right. about 55. Yeah. A friend of ours had one for the coronation, which was a bit of a joke. It was a 14-inch screen, so the size of a laptop. Yeah. With the two families huddled around it, trying to see a great yeah. black and white 405 line. Yeah. Um, but it, nonetheless, it did inspire people. But the BBC's output was pretty damn dull to be. So, right. Um, in what way? I think it was pseudo intellectual. Ah, okay. Um, it was trying to trying to educate, uh, emphasis emphasis on education rather than informing, entertaining. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think it was a bit dull, and it used to. The funny thing about television in those days, it used to stop at six o'clock for you to put the children to bed, mm -hmm. come back on at seven. Mm -hmm. um, it finished about half past ten or eleven, and the last program was always the epilogue was a religious. Program to right. bed with. Yes. So, uh, and then you got a white dot which you could carry on watching for a while if you like, <laughs> till the right. noise that, that was supposed to remind you to switch it off. Yeah. Um, 
But ITV offered something much more exciting. And two quiz programs straight away, W Money and Take Your Pick, mm-hmm. which were great. Um, and, but having said that, we actually sat around the television to watch the introduction of ITV, and it played the most stirring piece of music, which is... I mean, it's sort of Royal Air Force. Yeah, that sounds rather like the Dunbusters. Well, it was that sort of music, if if indeed it wasn't that actual piece of music. Yeah. But it was very similar. Yeah. Um, And then their coat of arms, which was two Griffins, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Then Associated Rediffusion had their own logo as well, which was a bit like Sputnik with with more bits hanging off it. Yeah. and, of course, the, the novelty of a commercial. I mean, you, you might have seen a commercial in the cinema, Pearl and Dean supplied, um, but seeing commercials on television uh, was, was certainly novel. And um, the ones that really stick in your mind for now are the ones with music in them. So, Murray Mince, Murray Mince, too good to hurry Mince. <laughs> or Silver Grimble, lovely hair, Silver Grimble, lovely hair, Silver Grimble, shampoo. Now, that was a 15-second commercial. Yeah. Why is that still in my head? Yeah, that's right. So it may be naffed, yeah. jingles, but they work. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, the best composers <clears throat> have that same knack. So Barry Gray is famously uh, synonymous with, with Jerry's shows. Yeah. And all those themes that we just saw flash past yes. us are almost instantly recognisable by Most many commercials of now, which I find quite extraordinary, uh, they, they use music from many different sources and all a lot of 1960s music. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So what were you watching? What, what caught your attention in those early days of TV? Lone Ranger, Robin right. Hood, William yeah. Tell, yeah. those sort of things. So ad- adventure stories. Two out of three at least of which still on talking pictures. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember hearing a funny story, if I love, about because that was a very cheaply made programme, Robin Hood. And uh, I think it was made at Walton on Thames. And they had a, a group of six Normans and six merry men. And whenever the battle sequences and they'd fire the arrow, yes. you'd have the bloke at Robin Hood doing that and the arrow go... And then you'd have the Norman at the other end going... Ooh, ooh, like that. <laughs> yeah. And it was the same guy, apparently, just <laughs> dressed differently. He'd already changed over in the afternoon. And Great, it's very economical. So same arrow left the, and, and arrived at, the same person <laughs> that sent it. <laughs> yeah. But it worked. And so... I'm picturing you watching your, your favourite programmes as a young child, yeah. getting involved in the adventure, maybe getting to know the actors slightly as well, seeing them in other productions. Um, in those days, you were allowed to play cowboys and Indians, um, and we were allowed to have guns. Yeah, And right. they were good guns, they looked like the real thing. Yes. Um, I've still got my Second World War Luga. Right. Not cowboys and Indians, of course, but I've still got it. Yeah. Um, and... It, that was, you could still hold up a bank with one of those. It looks like the real thing. Yeah, yeah. With caps in it, so it went bang. Yeah, I remember those. Um, and I remember as a Christmas present, Rin Tin Tin was another series that we enjoyed. Yeah. Set in the in the Wild West. He was in some way involved with the American Army. I can't quite remember how. At the age of 12. Yeah. And he had a, an Alsatian dog. And I, somebody bought me that outfit for Christmas. And you used your imagination. Yeah. You, know, you were getting involved in incredibly exciting adventures. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as you don the uniform and carry the gun, it, it transports you. Yeah. Whereas nowadays I fear children spend, in my view, too much time on a video game just staring at a screen. Yeah, um, right. And they don't use their imaginations because it's all laid out for them. Well, now that's uh, interesting because uh, we were talking downstairs earlier about um, the Tomorrow People. Yeah, and perhaps, you remember. Yes, I had to reach for it. Mm. And, uh, and perhaps the limitations imposed upon the production because of lack of finance and so on. Mm. And we were talking there that actually I remember watching it as a child and not being bothered, not being troubled by that because I used the, the child's imagination to fill in the gaps. Yeah. It, it was I, almost enough for the production to hint at what they were trying to do and I could go the rest of the journey, if you like. Um, 
it's like, I've still got this, funny enough, it's like video games. The very first video game, the popular video game, was uh, made by Dixon's, and it was um, a tennis ball, yeah. ping-pong ball, and it literally went from one side of the screen to the other. Bing. That's it. Bing. Yes. And you had to slide the bats up to hit it. Yeah. You needed a huge amount of imagination to think you were at Wimbledon when you were playing that. Yeah. Um, but video games now, there's nothing left to the imagination. Yeah. You can kill anybody you like and yeah. blow up anything and have drive we, over people in your car and so forth. Yeah. No imagination required. So have we lost something as yeah, a consequence, do you think? Absolutely we have. Yeah. Creativity, it's called. Uh-huh. I have a horrible fear that there will come a time when there will only be two types of people, those that build computers and those that use them, and I uh-huh. think there's going to be much in between. Yes. yes. And that's already coming. We've got AI writing books. Uh, yeah. Uh, an AI, I'm sure AI could uh, com- compose a perfectly credible uh Dickens' book, yeah. and most people wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, there we uh, go. Having subject matter that would never have occurred to Charlie by himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so talking of early memories, yes. uh, we're going to take a look at one of your first Anderson memories, so one of the very first shows you remember watching as a child. Uh-huh. So take a look at this brief clip, and we'll have a chat about it afterwards. Uh, is, that ba- is that Battery Boy? No, this is Twizzle. Yeah. I think the, the acting is a little bit less wooden than the Tomorrow People. Actually, it's going to be quite good. Twizzle. You asked me what I used to watch as a very young child. The first thing, actually, was The Wooden Top. Right. I think that came out on Fridays. Yeah, OK. Once a week. Yeah. That's something I used to look at. And then, of course, Bill and Ben. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, both of which, you know, not a million miles removed no, from No, not at all. That's what suddenly twizzle. reminded me when I saw that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, were, they were good things. Yes. Um, Is voice work something you've um, pursued or uh, enjoyed in your career? Um... Well, I did, I did a load of Tomorrow People CDs yeah. in the 2000s. I think I made about 20 of those. Yeah? I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed them because you don't have to bother to learn the lines. You can just read it off the script. Ah, there you go. Um, voiceovers, I didn't really have the sort of rich Donald syndrome-type tunes that in those days you yeah. needed. So I was, I, I think I've always been in between the two, really. I, yeah. I didn't have the dulcet tones in the 50s. And um, I don't really speak, don't talk properly, yeah. sort of appropriate, like, you know, for... Sort of voiceovers, they do that. Oh, that sounds pretty convincing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So let's go back. Um, Was there a moment, perhaps, when you were watching these TV series or later on at school where uh, a light bulb came on and you decided to be an actor, or was it a much more slower accretion of of experiences? What is it? It's good. I thought I've no idea, but I just thought I'd throw it in. Yeah, accretion. Somebody from Crete. No. <laughs> was there a Cretan who inspired you to become an actor? No, I don't think so. No, it's all Greek to me anyway. <laughs> um, no, what happened? Um, I, you know, the only thing I was remotely interested in was the Air Force. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know that I'd have made a particularly good pilot in the end. Yeah. Um, 
I was coming to the end of my time at uh, prep school, so I'd have been about 12 or 13. Um, and then acting, I, w I went to go and see uh, The Prince and the Pauper, which was a Walt Disney film. It was on at uh, Studio One, Oxford Circus. It was a Disney cinema, it's where they showed Disney releases. Um, and I was fascinated by it, and it was only on for two more days. So I went back and I watched it, I think, four times in total. And by the time I got home after the fourth occasion, I was able to write out the entire script longhand. Ah. It was just in there. Yeah. And if you really love something, you don't have to learn it. It's just there. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, that's what I want to do. Ah. Um, the guy that played the Prince and the Pauper was Sean Scully. I suppose it would have been, how old then, 15, 14, 15. He was Australian, and I believe he's still working in mm. Australian soaps after mm. all these years. Mm. Uh, but that was the... That was the one film that really inspired me to mm. become an actor. Um, my grandfather had been an actor, so it was rather difficult for my father to say, totally unsuitable, can't right. that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was already pretty thick, so all that was required was to fail my exams for public school, which I managed to do twice. I mean, that's pretty clever, let's face it. Yeah. Um, I remember in my, the French, one of the French parts, I was asked a question, so I put je ne sais pas. Very good. Um, which, you understand what that means? <laughs> I do. Don't no, I don't know. No. I know, yeah. Um, anyway, I, he was not impressed. So I did fail it twice, and there wasn't really a great deal of choice. Mm. Um, I studied in the public library. Um, I used to look at the old spotlight casting directories and see who was represented by whom. Mm. And um, we soon worked out the best drama schools that got the most work. Yeah. Uh, and, and closed in on those. And I, so I went to the Corona Stage School the Corona Academy, as it rather pompously called itself. Um, we all call it Corona. <laughs> yeah. um, and it turned out a lot of very good actors, including me. Um, there was Susan George, um, Richard O'Sullivan, Dennis Waterman, ah. Nicholas Lindhurst, wow. uh, Francesca Annis. I mean, it really did turn out some very talented people. Uh, at what age is this? Is this after uh, well, yeah, secondary well, school? Well, or no, that's no, part no, of no. Your... Some of them, well, Richard O'Sullivan went there when he was four or five. Oh, right, I see. And so did Dennis Waterman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I went there later, obviously I was 13, I think maybe even 14 when I went there. And what were your hopes at that point and ambitions? Did you have any hopes or ambitions as a young actor training at the Corona Stage School? I think school? if you go to stage and have no hopes or ambitions, you might want well sure. to get bothered again. OK, so <laughs> what, what were yours? Hopes and ambitions. I wanted to be probably the next Lawrence Olivier, something yeah. like that. But, you know, start fairly low and work Yeah, out. yeah. Um, I never saw myself as a Shakespearean actor. Um, although I can do it if required. Mm. Oh, for a new was of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. There it is, yeah, great. Yes, it's there if you want it. <laughs> um, but no, I suppose the, the niche I saw myself in, and only for sort of vaguely physically, was a sort of Dirk Bogart area, that sort of type of actor. Yeah. But when I went there, um, the Mick Jagger look was becoming more trendy. Uh -huh. So I was becoming a bit old-fashioned. Uh -huh. Um there's room for us both, I, I like to think. Yeah, that's right. Um, but at that time, it was difficult. They were uh, roles for sort of things that I was good at, if mm. you like, or competent at. Mm. Can't say no more than that. Mm. Um, so, uh, But they did bring a few things back, like Upstairs, Downstairs, I did one of those. Yes. Um, those sort of plays for the day, I did a load of those yes, as well. Yes, yes. Um, where they did want the more conventional look. Yeah. Um, but there's no doubt the world was changing at that 62, 63, 64. This is where it was all changing. The Beatles had come along. And, yeah. Um, I think whole... one of your Wednesday plays, I think you were directed by Warris Hussein, who yeah. famously directed the yeah. early Doctor yeah. Who. I think that was called The Connoisseur. Yeah. 
which had Richard O'Sullivan in it. Ah. And Ian Ogilvy went on to play the new saint. Yeah. And my good self. Yeah, and your good self. And, um, yeah, because he directed, Warris directed, I think, was it the first Doctor Who? Yes, that's or the it. first Doctor Who's full story, I can't Yeah, remember. that's right, yeah, yeah, with William Hartnell. Uh, now, our viewers and listeners have been in touch and Ooh. sent us some questions for you, which right. I have placed in this Space 1999 lunchbox. Oh, shucks, and I thought I was going to get a biscuit. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. Oh, but if you could reach in there and uh, take a, a question or two, and uh, we'll see what they've been asking. Go for a short one, shall we? All right, to start with, yeah. <laughs> there are plenty more. To say, I'd love to. Oh, Jeff Tilly, I'd yeah. love to hear some stories in your career as a showbiz talent scout. Uh, what did that entail, and how long uh, was that a part of your, your oh, life? Oh, a long time. I, about 1980, I started a television commercials agency, yeah. business partner. Um, the idea being we could represent actors for TV commercials, that wouldn't interfere with my career yeah. as an actor. Yeah. Um, but it became so successful so quickly, um, a lot of those actors wanted representation across the board across the boards. Mm. So I bought a couple of agencies at the time. Mm. Nancy Levinson was one of the clients. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we could look after people for everything. And it then became impossible. You can't go out and push yourself and promote yourself. Uh, if an actor saw you on television doing a part that he was right for, yes. he'd say, well, why are you doing it? It's yes, supposed, I see. supposed to be getting me work. <laughs> yes. So after about five years, I felt I had to pull back. Yeah. But th that leads me on to a, an answer to this question from Jeff. I'd love to hear some stories in your career as a showbiz talent scout. Um, Rob Brydon famously put this story in his um, his memoir, yeah. his autobiography. He was a fan of the Tomorrow People, apparently. Right. Anyway, he came to see me um, at the agency uh, for uh, representation for television commercials. And um, I, I could see he was very talented and very funny and everything else. But I hope he won't mind me saying this, but he had a pretty poor complexion at the time. Right. Um, you know, quite a few spots. Mm. And I said, look, Rob, um, this we specialise in commercials and most of it, a lot of it's food. Yeah. Um, you can't go for an audition as you are at the moment. Uh, they simply won't employ you if yeah. it's for a wholesome food product. Um, so I didn't feel I could help him. Uh -hmm. um, and I, apparently he went away and got taken on by somebody else and then very shortly afterwards did a Kit Kat commercial. <sighs> And he famously relates this story <laughs> in his autobiography. He, he says, imagine my shock and horror when I came in and found I was being interviewed by my childhood hero. That was, that was the first part. But <laughs> yeah. the other part of the story was sort of a meh, 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 meh. What he fails to mention is the commercial last, it was for Kit Kat, I think, and lasted about two weeks oh. and was pulled, um, for, probably for the reasons I have just oh. said. Uh, so this was a situation where... Uh, I was the talent spotter, and he was the spotted talent. Oh, very good, very good. Uh, let's have another question from the, right. from the lunchbox. Um, mm. Ooh, what was your first reaction to seeing the aliens that appeared in Bringers of Wonder when you were filming the episodes? Ah, yes. Jonathan Westall. Yeah, um, your memories of that. <laughs> pretty much nil, because we didn't see them. Right. Um, I had to turn into a blob of vomit, I seem to remember. <laughs> Um, but I never saw that. I was only required to react and look agonised and yeah. twisted. Uh, but I, I, we were, not, were not given a costume. So you weren't in the blob of vomit? Not as far as I remember. Sure. I think it was done by what they call a special effect. Yes, yes, mm. I can imagine. Yeah. SFX. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah. So that's the answer to Jonathan. Yeah. Great. Um, Paul Hyde, being the leader of the Tomorrow People as John, did you feel an important leader was necessary? Or like a father figure. Um, I, uh, if you look at the original brief, John is nothing like 
the way I played him. Um, Cockney for a start. Mm. Um, but I think, yes, I think Roger probably realised when he started interviewing people that it did need a leader of some sort. Mm. And I was a halfway house. I was half a, a teenager, supposedly, um, not long broken out himself, and but was also able to keep the emerging tomorrow people in check and bring some sort of common sense to the outfit. Otherwise, yes. it would have been chaotic in the extreme, yeah. I think. Well, we shall see, because I think it's time that we uh, beat about the bush no longer right. uh, and have a look at a brief clip from the Tomorrow People. Ah, exciting stuff. Now, don't you realise? If he breaks out of his sleep, he might jaunt unconsciously into somewhere dangerous. Anyway, the human body can only stand so much, and breaking out is stretching it to its utmost limits, especially in sleeping space. Well, how long have we got? Tim? About six hours. After that, the longer he has left, the greater the danger. Seven hours is the absolute maximum he can stay alive. Tim, get online with the medical computer and find out which hospital he's in. We've got to find him. Remarkable, and if you ask them nowadays to find out which hospital someone was in, they wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> there you go. Now I saw you uh, clicking your fingers along to that opening theme. Yeah. For many people who remember the series, that opening theme and those opening graphics of the hand and the fetus and the brain are indelibly seared on our minds. Indeed. There's something very peculiar about seventies children's television that it skirts very close sometimes to sort of domestic horror in that it's set in locations and places we might recognise as children in the 70s, but there's sort of an underlying vein of something darker that's often represented by the music and the imagery chosen for things like the opening credits. Is that something you'd agree with? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A very disturbing piece of music. Yeah, absolutely. But you know the Scandinavians, it was sold to 55 different territories around the world. The right, Arctic. yeah. The Scandinavians wouldn't buy it because it was psychologically too violent. Ah. So they never bought it. Oh, really? And for them to talk about psychologically too violent, when you bear in mind the, the, the detective stuff they sell now. Yes. But at that time, <laughs> they thought it was bad for children. Now, was the Tomorrow People a big change for you? Was it um, not necessarily a step up? I'm guessing it was regular work for a few years, which is always helpful. I, I, I don't want to sound pompous. It was probably a step down. It might step yeah. up. In what way? Um, well, because prior to that, I'd done a lot of serious drama. Yeah. Although, funnily enough, comedy was my preferred route, but nobody agreed, so they didn't give me any. <laughs> um, so I'd played with some really top-notch actors and some really good stuff. Um, and I looked on The Tomorrow People. I, who knew it was going to go on for the whole of the 70s? Mm. I just thought, well, 13 episodes, a bit of fun, you know, mm. a bit of children's, why not? Mm -hmm. A fairly light entertainment. I see. Um, but then, as I said, you, you're faced with the... Uh, inevitable choice when it comes to an end and they offer you another series. Do I take the risk and hopefully pick up where I left off? Yeah. And it's like any other addiction. The, more, the longer you do it, the more difficult it is to get out of it. Yeah. And whilst I was taken seriously as an actor at, say, 20, um, I mean, I'd not long come out of 40 Years On in the West End, which was written by Alan Bennett. He appeared in it. Yeah. had a leading role in it. Yeah. Um, so that's the sort of calibre we're talking about. Um but then to come out of a children's series, having done it for six years, there's, there's a whole new breed of directors who are only 12 when you started um, who don't know what you've done before. And they, that, and they will look down on children's television. Yes. Which is a yes. not very serious medium. 
Um, Anton Phillips, an actor from Space 1999, mm. who was sat in that very chair a few weeks ago, told a story about how when he was doing his year at Pinewood on Space 1999, playing a regular part, mm. uh, he was told by friends that uh, casting directors thought he had gone to America mm. and so would no longer consider him for parts. Well, I think he should stick to that story and just deny <laughs> he was ever in anything else. I've been in Hollywood, you know. <laughs> That's it, exactly. Uh, so just before we wrap up, we're going to just take a look at one more clip. You've mentioned some other work that you did, and I want to take you back to a particular episode of Crown court. Have a look at this. <laughs> I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You asked Bastian Pierce Kelly Carvel, the defendant in this case. Yes. Now, Lord Carvel, can we please get straight to the heart of this matter? Will you tell the court, in your own words, about your abduction? Yes, well, I was going to visit a friend for lunch. Uh, this would be Miss Emerald's River, would it? Yes, yes. I was uh, walking along the promenade by the sea. I was early, I had plenty of time to spare. The pavilion clock had just struck... Oh, no, the pavilion clock just hadn't struck one, that's right. Yes, uh, what time would you appoint them? 1.15, and it was nearby. Yes. Well, anyway, a, a car suddenly drew up, and the back door flew open. A chap in the back asked me to go to North Street, which is a fairly main street through the centre of the town. Anyway, I leant down so that I could see him, and I was talking, and uh, all of a sudden what seemed like a passerby pushed me from behind. I was pulled into the car by my collar, uh, by the chap I'd been speaking to. Then I was pushed again from behind and hauled down into the seat. Uh, he had hold of my forearm. It was very quick. Anyway, he then slammed the door and uh, we drove off. It was very, very quick. There we are now. That's Crown Court. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, that was um, a staple of daytime TV in the yeah. UK. Back again now on Talking Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but now uh, daytime TV is chock a block full of uh, antiques shows and quiz shows and so on. Yeah. But it seems that in the 70s in particular and the 60s, uh, a lot of TV's most important work was for daytime TV. Daytime TV was a new idea. It wasn't allowed um, until I can't remember what the date was. Right. 71, let's guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, they sought to put out good programmes. Mm. But it costs money to make a programme like that. These rubbish they've got on nowadays cost virtually nothing. Yeah, you know. right. Um, and that, as you can see, some very fine actors. I mean, the lovely Richard Wilson. That's right. Um, who went on to do One Foot in the Grave. Yeah. Um, who, who played my defence counsel there. Mm -hmm. There's a little story behind that, if you've got time for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, the, and that part was given to another actor. Yeah. And it was done fairly quickly. There were three episodes made in a week, I think. Yeah. And uh, he just threw, threw up his hands in horror after a day or two's rehearsal and said, I can't learn the lines, it's too much. Right. So he called me in at the last minute. And, and the director said, do you, do you think you can do this? And I said, well, if you let me play it my way, because as far as I'm concerned, if you're being accused of something... Uh, and you want to look a bit shifty. You don't want to be slick and word perfect. So yeah. as long as I can sort of improvise around what I'm being asked, yeah. I think it might actually add something. Uh, okay. So they said, OK. Playing opposite somebody like Richard, who's such a good actor, he would lead me if I was going slightly off track. I but, yeah. see. Um, and I, I, I thought it was extremely good. I think it actually worked very well. I, yeah. it, it could have been a total disaster, but it yeah. worked well. But that was during the Tomorrow People. It wasn't before or after. Uh -huh, that yeah. was during. Yeah. And I remember writing... I played Lord Carvel in that, and I managed to get some House of Lords writing paper from a friend of a friend. <laughs> and uh, after I was found guilty, um, I wrote to Richard Wilson yeah. personally, yeah. and I said, if you think I'm paying your defence fees, you've got another thing coming. <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> 
I, I, he then wrote back to me and said, I've got a number of friends who uh, I have defended in the past who are currently in Wandsworth Prison. Uh, would you like me to introduce them to you? <laughs> right, OK, <laughs> yes, yes, get the picture. Great fun. Yeah. Uh, now, just before we end for this uh, part of the interview, uh, looking ahead to next week, we're going to be looking at your part in Space 1999, Bringers of Wonder, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll also be taking a look at Kessler as well. Yeah, so I've already managed There that. you go. So much more from your career coming up. Just before we do that, however, we're going to have a quick game of Quick Fire Five. I'm going to give you a series of either-or questions, or rather questions that require an either-or answer. Just a bit of fun. Are you ready for these? Not really. But, okay, um, well, let's go. Uh, would you rather spend the weekend on Tracy Island or on the moon with the Alphans? Oh, I think Tracy Island. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, Thunderbird 2 or Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow? Come on now. <laughs> Cruel question. <laughs> uh, Thunderbird 2, I think it's less likely to break down. Choose a pet. Bagpuss or Footso the Cat from Twizzle? Twizzle. Oh, well, great. Uh, Now, who would you choose for a heart-to-heart? Would it be Lady Penelope from Thunderbirds or Space 1999's Dr. Helena Russell, played by Barbara Bain? Uh, oh, no, unquestionably, Lady P. Lady P. Yeah. And finally then, uh, in order to join Captain Scarlet and Spectrum, you must choose a colour from the Dulux colour range. So tell me, are you Lieutenant Overtly Olive or Captain Captain Cloudy Dreams? Sounds a bit dubious. Um, <laughs> Lieutenant Captain, Overtly Olive or Captain Cloudy Dreams? Captain Cloudy Dreams. I, I knew you were going to say that. Mm. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us for this week. I hope you'll come back next week and tell us a little bit more about Space 1999 and, of course, the Tomorrow People and the rest of your illustrious career. If you will have me and a little bit more, I'll be delighted. <laughs> thank you for now. It's Nicholas Young. You see, I get a bit of a thrill from interviewing people that I used to watch on TV when I was a nipper. Mm. And I used to watch The Tomorrow People. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. and But you're very good at it. I don't oh. know why you didn't do more interviews before. Why didn't I do more interviews I don't before? know. I think because I found the technology thing, the whole hooking up and doing it via the, you know... But in person. In person, it's great. The proximity helps, doesn't it? It really does, yes. Yeah, and the eye contact. Yes, You've mentioned the eye contact. Stop doing that. Mm. Oh, it's so creepy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Now, I don't know if you've heard of a, such a thing called Facebook. Facebook. Are you aware of Facebook? The Facebook? <laughs> I think it was going to be called the Facebook, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm. Drop, the, drop the the. Why? When we ask people to hashtag us on Twitter, which we haven't done for a while, mm. do we ask them to hashtag us Jerry Anderson Podcast and not the Jerry Anderson Podcast? That feels unnecessary, doesn't it? Does it? it? But, but we're definitive. So, are we? Yeah. Well, we are the Jerry Anderson podcast. We are. True. You see? Yes. Uh, whereas with the hashtag, it's just to help people find it. Oh. Do you see what I mean? Not sure you've answered the okay. question. But anyway, talking of answering questions, people have been commenting on our Facebook group and there might be some questions in there that we can answer. Or not. It might just be comments and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Where should we have a look? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Jeff Owen. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Now... Jeff Owen. He says, I write this as an apology for what I'm about to say. Yeah. And I hope the community forgives me. Now. Although I know what I did was wrong. Now, Jeff Owen has really let us down. This is a really serious Is this a criminal thing? I mean, do we need to get the lawyers in? Almost. Have a read. Okay. I recently unsubscribed from the Jerry Anderson podcast. Unforgivable. Jeff. Yeah. I know. I hope he explains himself. Not because I found it boring. Right. Well, that's something, at least. Uh, faint, faint praise there. Yeah. But because I thought I'd try out some new podcasts. Yeah. 
not sure how that's how these sort of relationships work, Jeff. Right. I mean, these things should be by mutual agreement, really. But oh, hmm. it took me all of three weeks before I resubscribed, oh. as I missed Jamie and Richard's japes, and of course the randomizer. Of Japes. Japes. Uh, I am now even further behind. I could call myself Richard Japes, couldn't I? Oh. Next time. Well, uh, am I Japes Anderson? Yes, that would yeah. work as well. Brilliant. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm now even further behind than I was before. So I look forward to booking tickets to Stand By For Action and seeing your life uncharted. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Um, I'm not that far behind, but I do think I'm now about six weeks behind. The good news is, though, that it is my podcast listing is now streamlined because there were other subscriptions that haven't returned. <laughs> so I, them, submit, I submit to the punishment of the Podstrons. Do you recommend me watching a Torchy Marathon or playing Power Themes 90? Ah, uh, both, I think. I think both at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. know that's fair enough, isn't it? You know you want to try past as new, but, you know... You don't have to fun. unsubscribe, though. Yeah. Because unsubscribing is a signal to the podcast distributors, like Apple Podcasts, <sighs> that you are no longer interested Ooh. and therefore that we are less popular. So, kind of a... Jeff, there's some damage done there, <laughs> I'm yeah. afraid. I don't think it's irreparable, but I do right. think, yeah, yeah. Pe penance to be paid. I think one thing you could do would be to send us an email every week yep. for the next month. Okay. To podcast.jerryanson.com. Uh, sort of apologising and giving yes. additional reasons why people should listen to the Absolutely podcast. Absolutely right. Okay, fine. There then you go, Jeff. There's your punishment. Forgive him. There's your punishment. Dom Riley says, Eek, uh, Plessy Woods Viaduct near me has partially collapsed on the East Coast Main Line. Dum, dum, provided dum. the picture. A uh, little bit of history. This was built by local lad Robert Stevenson. Looks like a job for International Rescue and Thunderbird 2. Mistron involvement suspected. Ooh, crossing the shows there. Interesting. Do you think the Mistrons are responsible for a lot of what's going wrong in the world today. <laughs> It'd be good if they were, because we'd know how to sort it out, wouldn't we? Would we? We'd just get Spectrum. I'm not sure Spectrum were that great at sorting out the Mistrons. I mean, yeah, individual little threats, but overall yeah. the problem persisted, right. really. Okay. So fine. Fair enough. Just an idea. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, Wayne Oates has written in. Yeah. Uh, on Facebook. Oh, yeah. He says, clearing out my garage. Yeah. I came across an old model I made for an Anderson-inspired film project. Did you? Red Moon Rangers. Oh. Where I wanted to combine puppets, live actors, and old-school in-camera effects. Nice. Clearly inspired by the Overlander from Terrorhawks, this was created from three kids' beach toys that I found in the bargain bucket in my local Toys R Us about 15 years ago. <laughs> Great. Wow. Lovely. I thought he was going to say that he'd found or stole, possibly, uh, <laughs> from some children on the beach. But no, it's fine. I had zero budget. This cost under £20 to make, and it shows. But it did the trick. Happy memories. If you Aww. want to check out the trailer, it's still on, still on YouTube yeah. under Red Moon Rangers. Oh, well done. I might look at that. So go and search Red Moon Rangers yeah. and watch the trailer. Yeah, say it again. Red Moon Rangers. That's great. Uh, Jonathan Westall says, During the latest podcast, 278, when Richard was reading out my comment on my favourite episodes of Terror Hawks, mm. I couldn't help but hear someone whooping in the background when the audio episode Time Split was mentioned. Was that you, Chris Dale? <laughs> there he is again. I think it might have been. Either that or we've got an owl perched just outside the window here. Uh, yes. Yeah. I'll just get one of those owl scarers outside. That'll help. Yeah. Sort of all out. Yeah. Uh, all for now, uh, but do comment on our Facebook group. Uh, answer a few questions. Fairly simple, I think. They're not oh, like, yeah. you know, what was Colonel White's middle name or anything like that. No. They're things like, will you abide by the rules? I will think. you be nice? Yeah. And they're all nice. All yeah. postrons are nice. Yeah, we'll let you in and join in the fun. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Speaking of nice. Yes. Nice people. Nice people, yeah. 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 We yeah. like them, don't we? Oh, I like nice people, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, just... Uh, 
sort of say that. Anyway, Chris Dale's here too. Um, oh, with the randomizer. No, Chris is lovely. Chris is really lovely. We know Chris yeah. is lovely. Apparently, was only at number nine in my chart. Number nine. Yeah. Gosh, who's coming instead? It was that little dog that came into the studio the other day. He's <laughs> yeah. taken pole position. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then the, the lady who helped us fix the coffee machine. And she's number six. Ah, yeah. very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a nice position to be in, actually. I, I haven't asked it all these weeks. Where, where am I in this uh, list? Anyway, it's time I... for the randomizer. Over to Chris, then. Weird. So Nicholas, thank yeah. you for coming all this way to join me on the Randomizer sofa today. Right. I'm sure you've heard of the Randomizer. It's a remarkable machine with every Jerry Anderson episode ever made in it. And it's amazing you can get it all in that. Indeed so. Yeah. And uh, the only way to get an episode out is to press the big button there. Ah. So if you'd like to do that, we'll see what we'll get this right. week. <sighs> thank you very much. It's quite hot, isn't it? It is quite hot. It does seem mm. to be a bit further away than it normally would have it, but that's Do you want to close up? That's, that's fine. So what series are you hoping for an episode from this week? I think one called um, Bringers of Wonder. Bringers of Wonder? Yeah. I think you know, I've already done that. Oh. Several years ago. I've been at this for five years now. Yeah. Ah, but we have an episode Ooh, of... I can't quite see it. It's Joe 90. Yes, Joe 90. Joe 90. Joe 90. And the episode is Viva Cordova, which I think is the last one ever made. So wow. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Nicholas. Will you come back next week black and, and white. Uh, black press and the white. button again? It's black and white. I think we'll play it in colour. Will you? Yeah, I think oh, so. I think okay. we, we have the technology for that. So, I'll come back next week. Come back next week if you would. Okay. We'll make another selection. All right, that'd be lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Joe 90 time. Uh, the first time we've had Joe 90 in our new podcast studio. And what a lot of familiar puppets we have there. Uh, lots of ex-Spectrum personnel, including that person. Um, yeah, there we had Colonel White, Captain Grey, Dr. Fawn, I think Captain Brown, but yes, most uh, importantly, the villain for this episode is played by none other than Captain Black. Um, in this, uh, this tale of political intrigue and uh, electoral shenanigans, uh, there's several notable things to talk about with this episode. Uh, I'm wondering actually if this is anything of um, Lady Penelope's house. Uh, and there's a familiar voice to Captain Scarlet fans, but not a voice that we've heard in this show before. Uh, this is Elizabeth Morgan playing um, the role of President Cordova's wife. She's only in this Joe 90 episode. Uh, I don't know why Sylvia was, was either not available or maybe Liz happened to be passing by and they roped her in, but uh, it's nice to hear her voice again, even if she's not credited. 6,481,207. Ah, so he's doing quite well, the former world president. And this puppet, uh, most famous as being the world president in Captain Scarlet, never seemed to play a villain. He was either politicians or scientists. You must go out onto the balcony and speak to them. Yes, go and have a chat with the people. I see you are going to show yourself to the people. Mm. And that's uh, Jeremy Wilkin voicing General Valdez, a.k.a. Captain Black. I concede victory mm. and offer my congratulations. In my most sincere and genuine voice. Uh, and we'll get into this, uh, but I believe this was the final episode of Joe 90 to be filmed. Uh, it's certainly number 30 in production order, um, produced alongside The Birthday. Uh, and there's a lot of, this is a big, big scale of an episode. Lots of puppets, lots of scenes, lots of drama. As this guy gives the nod to Captain Black. All very sinister. 
So I was just sitting there watching the opening titles of Joe 90 uh, with a silly smile on my face, as uh, I'm often prone to do. And it just occurred to me how, how strange it is to actually be watching this show here in Slough. It's just hit me that all of this is made like, if not round the corner, then certainly, you know, just a few blocks from where I'm sitting. Uh, and yet here we are in, uh, I don't know where this is meant to be, South America, possibly. But uh, yes, our elected um, president, Juan Cordova, making a speech. And that doesn't look promising. In my election campaign, I made you promise. I also like as well that the people who were clearly supporting the other guy are you know, just peaceably listening to the guy that they didn't vote for making his uh, acceptance speech. Whose greed and immorality made them rich and powerful at your expense. Yes, I noticed one of the puppet's hands was bent backwards there. Ah, so he's uncovered some political shenanigans. I've often wondered if that actually would be a better note on which to, uh, to end the teaser, the explosion. Um, and it's, you know, you don't actually see the explosion as such. Congratulate you once more, Cordova. That was nearly a nasty accident. <laughs> Random balcony explosions are a common occurrence in uh, wherever this is uh, stun. Uh, but she suspects that all is not well. Um, again, some lovely visuals throughout this whole episode. And that little trickle of a river there, they didn't need to include that. It's just a, another lovely little bit of detail. Though the general denied the right of being innocent and to proven guilty to others, I will extend it to him. Yes, it's, it's interesting that they've chosen Captain Black for a role in this episode. I, Again, as it's the last episode, I guess maybe they just thought, oh, what the heck, Captain Scarlet clearly isn't going to continue. We've got this puppet. It's a nice nod to the past. But uh, yes, President Cordova is very reluctant to, um, to have a bodyguard. I have nothing to fear. No. My mind is made up. Except random explosions and sinister chauffeurs. What can possibly be done about this? I also like as well this um, reused music from Big Fish. But I mean, look at that set. I mean, the level of detail in that set for this one room in this one episode. Get me World Intelligence Network. And I think you only see it again in, in one or two more scenes, maybe. We've been asked to ensure the safety of Juan Cordova for the next few days. That should be easy enough. Now, there is one snag. We must guard Cordova without him knowing a thing about it. Ah. He refuses to accept a conventional bodyguard of any kind. Then how can we help him, Mr. Weston? You can help him, Joe. We've arranged with his wife that her uh, cousin from London will join the Cordovas for a few days. Okay. And that long-lost cousin from England. But yes, uh, this episode was produced as far as I know, as the last episode. And sometimes it's obvious why certain episodes or certain scenes of episodes that came near the end of a run um, were shot at the end. For instance, with um, XL5, the destruction of Venus's beach house and the destruction of the XL5 model and the destruction of the Space City Tower uh, in The Firefighters and Day in the Life of a Space General. You know, obviously you need to do that stuff at the end of the run 
because if you then need to use those props again, you're stuffed if you've blown them up. And I think the reason that this episode is produced last, and I've never seen any, um, any confirmation of this, it's just personal theory. Uh, there's a very familiar passenger plane. It just, it just occurred to me there that that shot was flopped. Um, yeah, the reason I believe this was, a, this was produced last is because it involved repainting so many of the, the guest puppets brown. And there would be no sense in doing that if you then had to produce another episode next week where you needed all these characters back the, the colour they were previously. So it makes sense to stick this episode near or at the very end. And then if there are no more Super Mario Nation productions, um, you don't have to worry about repainting them. And I think also that's why certain characters, certain familiar guest puppets in the Secret Service never looked right in the Secret Service because they'd been repainted for this and then were painted back uh, and it didn't always work. In fact, I think some, uh, and I'm thinking of the awesome puppet who was um, reading the, uh, the results as they came in earlier. I have a feeling he stayed brown after this episode. Uh, and there were probably some duplicates of like the Spectrum Captains and so on. So even though we see, I mean, pretty much all the male Spectrum personnel, well, no, about half of them, in this episode, painted brown. Uh, yeah, there probably would have been spares left over. This is interesting as well, because we see this case every week on the end titles. But we never actually see Joe use it. Well, we never actually get a demonstration, rather, of you know, where everything is. And yet, clearly, we have this prop where everything was designed to be opened with all these compartments and such. Aha. Fantastic. Yes, indeed. Now the left. So Joe is uh, is ambidextrous with that gun, shooting up uh, all of the um, all of the Cordova house's uh, wine glasses. Should convince you, Signora. Karate is an art requiring concentration and timing. Ah, which we've never seen Joe use in any other episode. Go on. Go on. Hiya! Oh. And I don't think we see him use it in this episode after that. But uh, I think he's been given the brain pattern of an all-round top agent to get him through this assignment. All right, Mac. You and Sam follow in a helijet, but keep out of sight. Yeah, I think a lot of the incidental music in this episode is from Big Fish. What do you think of our country? And there's elements as well from uh, King for a Day. Uh, probably some of the, the smaller buildings. I think actually there's a hotel from Child of the Sun God. Oh, he's got his happy face on. I have a feeling that limo turned up in the Secret Service as well. This uh, helijet um, appeared in several episodes as well. Most notably, uh, not hijacked, Breakout. Now the president is having a bit of a nap. Oh, he can't sleep anywhere. Oh. His election campaign has worn him out. <laughs> what about the driver? He does not hear nor speak. 
Ah. But he has been with her. Uh, is that a good idea to have a driver that can't hear? That seems counterproductive. And we can work out the best way to ensure the president's safety. And it is an unusual story for Supermarination world of, of protecting this politician. There is also a slight element of naivety to it as well. In terms of um, the villainy going on and how the villains are, are brought to justice. Because we know from our world that very often crooked politicians can just get away with whatever the heck they want to and there are no consequences at all. Uh, so it's nice to see in this episode, proving that it is science fiction, certain characters get a bit of a comeuppance. I thought I saw something in those rocks. Oh, the driver was signalling. We've got some vans parked up ahead. A signal? Oh. Joe 90 to Sam Luber. How would they have got past this if the president wasn't a big, oblivious, sleepyhead? But I thought I saw something in the rocks about a mile back. Can't see anything, Joe. Looks like a clear road. Wait a minute. Look, Sam, that truck. Got it, Mac. There's a truck about a mile behind you, Joe, moving pretty fast. Ah, another familiar truck uh, from Hijacked. That is from Hijacked. Being driven by Captain Oka. Uh, again, you can see the, the puppet's skin color is totally different from the last time you saw him. But I would have to assume there were several ochre, gray, white, magenta heads. Stop the car! Stop the car! You will never succeed! Ah. We the Mr. Ons will be avenged! <laughs> I just love how casually he throws himself out the door. Ah, luckily Joe's here to take the wheel. Oh, and this just looks so nice in HD. I know I keep saying it, but oh. Thank goodness for network. I just, okay, I I, I've seen clips since the Blu-rays came out. I've seen clips of the DVDs and they just look wretched. I mean, you know, technically they look okay, but oh, compared to this, this is just beautiful. The truck's closing in on you fast. Okay, Sam, take that helijet down and buzz them. There's enough dust around to force them off the road. Ah, okay. clever idea. See, it takes a WIN agent to come up with an idea like that. Uh, unlike the pilot of this helijet, who is a, a WIN agent. I so like the, the expression they give each other there. Uh, that's Hank, the engine driver from uh, Lone Handed 90, who's the other passenger in this lorry, getting uh, clogged up with dust. Neither of them think to shut their windows, which is strange because... Um, the model clearly has shut windows. Being blinded by science, Sam. Ah. Oh, you're getting as bad as Shane Weston, Mac. Science! Ah. Nice, uh, nice nod to Shane Weston's jokes there. Because Shane Weston doesn't really have anything to do in this episode. Oh. Mac's so happy about all this. And are we coming up to a hotel now? Which I think is from a different episode? The president slept through all of that. Now, oh, I mean, that is probably from, could be from Business Holiday. It, it, it's probably a model that was in a previous episode, maybe even as part of a, a larger building. My dear, are we here already? 
I don't remember seeing the world president puppet with a, a blinking head. Um, oh no, he uh, he gets shot with the um, curare in um, uh, Child of the Sun God, and his eyes are shut then. Mm. Famous for it. Ah. See, Joe's done it again. Oh, and I mean, if this, if I'm wrong, and that hotel has appeared in uh, other episodes, it, it's just a lovely, lovely little model, and I like the decor in the bar here. Uh, with some, yeah, this is from Captain Scarlet. This background music, um, when the truck driver is all on his own in uh, Big Ben's tracks again. So the waiter with the sinister voice has added a, a little sinister right. extra to the president's drink. Cool and, the and only Joe has noticed. Uh, right on cue. Thank you. Ooh. As they say in your country, Joe, cheers. Mr. President. What is wrong? I'm sorry, Juan. I, I didn't want to spoil your evening. And this episode is uh, also one that there was some behind-the-scenes filming for. Uh, I don't remember what program it was. You'll find it as an extra on, I think, the HD 21 Blu-ray set of them of the uses of the video assist system. They show some filming from Doppelganger. And they show some filming from this episode. Not this scene. Um, ah, that's a familiar shot from uh, Three's a Crowd, I think. I'm not interested in the excuses for your failure. Yeah, that line uh, is played. Uh, we're talking about the, um, the this footage of the video assist system here. That line is played out of the mouth of this puppet. Uh, who's just been assigned the task of murdering Cordova in his sleep. Uh, yeah, there's a shot of the... Um, yeah, we're now in the, the president's bedroom. And this behind-the-scenes footage has this door open and this puppet starts saying, I am not interested in the excuses for your failure. Uh, just as a demonstration. But it's, it's interesting to see the, uh, the puppet set up. Um, I think there's a view from the bridge. Uh, during the filming of this episode, and they they show this shot coming up, I think, of the the waiter about to knife the president, and uh, a close-up head turn on the the waiter's face. Yeah, that's the that's one of the uh, angles that they show. There's the knife. Yeah, and it's just you know, if you were going to record behind the scenes from an episode of Joe Ninety, you wouldn't necessarily pick this scene. But they did, or that's just what was being filmed the day that crew turned up to record that little look at the video assist. So we have a, a bit of behind-the-scenes material for Viva Cordova. I think it's the only behind-the-scenes footage of the filming of Joe 90 that exists. Now, where's my fishing hat? Is the president's eyes all right? I remember. I'll get it for you. Oh, yes. Joe has stuffed the waiter in the cupboard. 
to make a man feel good. <laughs> I've slept 22 out of the last 24 hours, and now I'm going fishing. So, who has Captain Black hired now? Now that the uh, chauffeur has failed, the truck driver has failed, the hotel waiter has failed, who are you going to call? Well, if you're Captain Black, you, uh, you're not without friends at Spectrum. Here are two divers. Um, one is Clooney from... No, that's not Clooney, is it? That is Soames from White as Snow. But also, that is Dr. Fawn. But interestingly, it's Dr. Fawn's angry face, which... Oh, that's a very Terry Nation line. Do not hesitate to eliminate him. Yeah, you, I don't think you ever saw Dr. Fawn's angry face in Captain Scarlet, mainly because he was barely ever in Captain Scarlet. Um, but it's interesting that clearly they, they had that head knocking around the place. Not a submarine, but underwater suits. Come on. Oh, no. So, yes, the president is, uh, is now facing an attack from beneath the sea while he fishes. Oh. And again, you know, I say about how, how wonderful this is in HD, but also HD can show up the, um, the fact that this is, you know, a painted backdrop. And you can see, you, you get more of an idea of what exactly you're looking at. But the effects on, of that background, those mountains um, in the foreground and the background and the, the, the clouds and the sky, it's still all beautiful stuff. Ah, I just love looking at this, these shows in, uh, in HD quality, beautiful 35mm. So Joe has now gone down after the uh, underwater assassins who are um, here to, uh, to kill the president. Because uh, obviously Captain Black can't do that himself. Um, and they've got to do this, make it look like an accident. But of course, Joe is here. Joe's on the case. And, um, you know, it's often said that underwater fight scenes are, are quite slow. Certainly they are in, in movies. I mean, there's a reason uh, Thunderball is not one of my favorite James Bond films, because there's a lot of slow motion underwater fight stuff. But somehow, I've never found that a problem with, with um, the Super Mario Nation shows. Now, granted, it is quite um, distracting seeing the more realistic uh, Captain Scarlet-era puppets swimming because, you know, they're, they're, they're so stiff and so rigid and the limbs are kind of all over the place. But, put the jazzy soundtrack over it. This is from uh, Double Agent. Um, Ah, here comes a car. Uh, we, um, no time for that car. Uh, I think that was meant to be the police. Or possibly it could be Sam and Mac arriving. Ah, um, oh, there we go. Joe headbutted the other goon in the stomach enough to knock him out. So Joe has made short work of the two underwater assassins. And the president, again, knows nothing. Uh, there was also a scene filmed for near the end of this episode of um, 
uh, Captain Black realising that the assassins have failed, so he tries to make his getaway through the undergrowth. And I think Sam possibly apprehends him. Someone apprehends him. Uh, there are some photos of that scene. It might even be the police who apprehended him. Uh, yeah, that scene was presumably filmed. There are photos of Captain Black standing in the bushes, uh, looking a bit confused. But everything's fine. Uh, Sam and Mac are here now. Joe has taken care of every assassin. Not a thing all day. Oh, dear. How did you get on, Joe? Oh, we managed to find... And this is what I find quite fun. Bearing in mind, this is the last scene of the last episode of Joe 90. What's the final shot? Well, it's of Captain Black under arrest. Uh, yeah, what Captain Scarlet couldn't manage, Joe 90 could. I just think that's a beautifully, uh, I don't even know what you want to call that image, but it's like, hey, we're going to end Joe 90 with the, uh, the arch-villain from the previous show, Captain Scarlet under arrest. Lovely stuff. And um, that was Viva Cordova. As you know, I'm a bit of a Joe 90 fan, actually, I've got to say. And uh, I, I get the feeling, you know, that episode is often shown as like episode 24, 25. It's sort of shuffled in a bit earlier than it was made. But I just get the sense with this one, if it, if it indeed was the very last one made, they're, they're sort of going all out in the service of uh, uh, a solid, if you know, not classic story. It's just the production level, uh, the production quality of this one that just raises it to another level. Um, uh, it's they throw everything into this. Every every department is just working at, at you know, full full force. Uh, from the puppeteers, the set design. Obviously, the music is, is reused, but it's still great. And I just, yeah, I have a lot of time for this episode. Such a small story, such a simple story, but just beautifully told. How lovely as well to see that naughty old Captain Black finally get his comeuppance. You know, it took a whole series, but Joe 90 got there in the end. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. You sure? It's fine. Do you want to talk about it? or? Well, what should, what should I be more upset by? The fact that I don't get into your list at all of favourite podcast oh. people, or the fact that we just had to sit through Joe 90. Oh, hang on, no, 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 you're, you're on the list. Right. You're you're the summary of my top 30 Top people. 30 people, in, bearing in mind oh, how few people there are. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, well, yeah. thanks, Chris, for Joe 90. Yeah. Uh, as, as people at school, you'd say when you complain that you had a headache and they punched you in the arm, you can't feel two pains at once. <laughs> so Joe 90 <laughs> numbed the pain of me not making your top nine. There you go, then that's Chris Dale's job done. Yes, thank you, Chris. For now it is. He'll be back next week with another episode of The Randomizer. We can't tell you what episode it'll be. Because it's random. Because it's random. Yes, brilliant. It I really think, is. I think we've established that by now, don't you? Yeah, well, people might be joining us. Why is it you're at liberty to sometimes say, and if you're joining us for the first time, but if I point out something like that, assuming people might be joining us for the first time, yeah. it's like, oh, people know that already. It's because I give the context of if you're joining us, if you're new here, if you're a recent addition to the Podstron world, whereas you just went straight in with, eh, it's random, you know. They know that. You don't need patronising. You've got to introduce these things. Context is key, Richard. If you're new to the Jerry Anderson podcast, then every week Chris Dale watches a random episode on the randomizer. <laughs> so it'll be random. Brilliant. All right. That was so nicely done. What's I it? think that was such a welcoming way to explain it to new Podstron. You really nailed it. Brilliant. Uh, nice. Okay. Good. Well, maybe I'll try again next week. Yeah. Probably should. Right, that's it, I think. Yeah. Are we done? Yeah. I think we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.
Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. Do you know what I mean about the context thing, though? I do know what you mean, yes, but I think people assume context, don't they? Well... You know, well, every week we tell people what's coming up, but we don't say every week, in case you're joining us for the first time, here's a rundown of what's coming up this week. but that's become a format point. Has it? Yeah. Oh. So it's format point versus contextual introduction. You see what I mean? Oh, I didn't do that course. No, okay, don't worry. We we need to work on your CPD. Uh, My what, pardon? Your CPD. Which is? Continuing professional development. What? You Ro- expect, sorry, you expect me to develop? Yeah, Ross is going to book you onto a course. And um, Why, is he? Hopefully, yeah. I, I th- well, right, OK, what, why? What have I done wrong? Uh, nothing. Just, it's just your issues with context. Oh. Yeah, and also that thing you said that you cut out earlier about, you know... Well, yes, that so was that's really understandable. Awkward. Yes, I know, that's why it's not staying in. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's for the Christmas blooper reel, uh, when we have our Anderson Christmas party, which I'm yes. so looking forward to. Yeah, 18 certificate. OK, right, yeah. time for us to go and for you All to right. go on that course. OK, yeah, bye then. Behave bye. yourself. Bye. That was an Anderson Entertainment production. <laughs>